The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. How's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza, and this is another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have you with us. It's the off-season for the Cincinnati Bengals. It is not the off-season for this show, nor is it for myself and my co-host, John Sharon. John, how you doing, buddy? New year. You, you kind of feel like you're back in the swing of things. Have Has the, uh, the lethargy kind of worn off from the beginning of a new year that, that tends to set in? It's kind of funny you you open it with that. I my my roommate came in here about half an hour ago. Say, hey, you want to watch a movie? I'm like, no, dude. You know I have a podcast to do. Ah, uh, like, look at oh, that oh, dedication. And he's like, you still do a podcast in the offseason? I'm like, yeah, dude. Like the, the like we we don't have much to talk about now, but like, we still got to do. We still got a job to do. And he's like, you you can talk about Joe Burrow. And like, there's four months for that. We're we're gonna go in a different direction tonight. Yeah, we've got a little bit to talk about. There might be a little Joe Burrow talk at the very end, uh, giving giving some recent comments by. Someone else in Bengals history, and we'll, we'll try and get to that if we can squeeze that in towards the end of the program. But we'll be talking about the status of the Bengals roster. John has a great breakdown uh, that he has kind of used a little bit of a template from Paul Daner Jr. Jr. of The Athletic. And, uh, a complete has, piggyback. Don't, don't sugarcoat it. Well, we're going we're gonna to make it our own. We're going to do our own roster analysis, and we're going to talk about some of the players based on the rumblings that we've heard about the team, the status of the roster going forward with the Cincinnati Bengals, areas of improvement that need to be had at what positions, that sort of thing. So we will go through that with a fine-tooth comb, as is kind of part and parcel of this point of the offseason. The Bengals are getting set to coach the Senior Bowl. We talked about that last week. They're going to be hitting free agency at the beginning of March, so just you know, a little over a month and a half away. And then, of course, you've got the draft towards the end of April. So you know, this is a, a critical time in terms of reviewing the roster, seeing free agents that are set to hit the market, guys you want to you know that they, they want to keep that sort of thing. So we will talk about that. We're going to continue our 2020 prospect. Prospect watch list with a couple of guys that John and I have. And John, by the way, one of our listeners has an assignment for you at the Senior Bowl for a specific player. So uh, we'll talk about that then, too. I got to remind me to let you know about that because uh, one of our listeners has gotten in touch with us about that. Uh, so we'll talk about the the two newest guys on our prospect watch list. And then we will end it with some other season awards. We kicked that off last week on the episode uh, there towards the end. 
uh, doing some MVP awards and whatnot. We've got some other season awards to give out, so we will do that. And then, as I mentioned, we may have time at the end for one other little recent piece of news that literally came our way right before we took the air. So we'll try and get that to you. If you're new to this show, you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You may be tuning into us via our YouTube channel through the live video or Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. You may have found us on CincyJungle.com and, uh, you know, found our video stream that way. All of it's good. So subscribe, check us out, try and join us live if you're able, whether it's for this weekly show Uh, When we do the occasional listener questions, episodes, and or other breaking news, post-game analyses, although that's going to be a little bit down the road now, uh, and other episodes that we do, as well as the other episodes within the Cincy Jungle channel, Matt Mannix, Chalk Talk, and Orange is the New Black. So get to us how you can, and we appreciate the support. So if our listeners are not subscribed to The Athletic yet, I would definitely recommend this podcast is not sponsored by the athletic because they have their own Bengals podcast but i digress um one of the reasons why i guess if you want to read joe goodberry if you really want to there there's a reason but paul Dinner jr and jay morrison have a lot of obviously valuable insight and an article caught my attention earlier this week paul Dinner jr ran through the entire 53-man roster and the i don't know about dozen or so players on injury reserve who ended the season on injury reserve and basically categorized each player into six different um, call, call them fates for this offseason. No, number one is a future core player, a guy who they plan on having beyond 2020. Number two, a complimentary part, someone who's pretty much going to be on the roster for 2020 and may, may or may not have started, but that's beside the point. Number three, a, bu- a bubble player for 2020, a guy who's going to be around the offseason but may not be a lock to make the roster. Number four, a tradable piece, a guy that they're going to be looking to offload, some someone who has value as a player, but, you know, just uh, as value as a player of the Bengals, but someone who's valuable enough to acquire a draft pick. Number five, an impending free agent who they're not sure they're going to bring back, someone that they're going to weigh their options. They, maybe they can test the market, but someone who's definitely not a lock to be brought back. And number six, parting ways, a guy that you know is either on the bottom end of the roster or some guy that all the Ryans on the wall say that this guy's just not being brought back, even if he's a free agent or if he's still part of the roster. So Anthony brought up, if, if you have, if, you know, if you have a subscription to the athletic you've probably already read this you probably already know a lot of these names and a lot of what we're going to talk about but if you don't i took the liberty of putting every player into a an excel spreadsheet which if you're watching the youtube show you're seeing right now everybody is color-coded into their designated fates listed by dana jr and just just keep in mind that these are not his preferences not what he would do but just what he's been able to garner in terms of information from people part of the organization what he's been able to gather from the locker room. Basically, all the information he's been able to accumulate, he's put into these projections. And this is basically what it came up with. And we're going through, you know, this the entire roster here. And we're just going to talk about the things that really stood out to me personally when I first read it. And, you know, a lot of these are very logical. Like you have both Andy Dalton and AJ Green listed as trade pieces, John Ross as well. Guys who obviously, you know, we all know what Andy Dalton's going to end up being. He's either going to be cut or he's going to be traded. That wasn't really surprising. AJ Green's probably going to be tagged, but, you know, there, there could be teams calling about him. Same thing for, you know, a John Ross or maybe even a Billy Price, guys who have disappointed and but still have value because they were drafted high and they're still relatively talented players. The first thing that really didn't surprise me but kind of took me back was the tight end position, and for two reasons. One, 
you have CJ Uzoma listed as a future core player. Now I understand that he was signed to a three-year deal. He still has two years left on the, on his contract, but the reality is he just didn't play that that well this year. And you look at some of these other names, like like a John Miller, who was also signed to a three-year deal, and he played about as well as you know you could re- relatively expect him to play. He's listed as a bubble player. Now there wasn't a lot of competition for Miller at that right guard spot, and he still played decently. But I think both of him and Uzoma, Uzoma should be like categorized in the same designation. Whereas Uzoma disappointed relative to how we should have expected him to play, not not only as a pass catcher but as a run blocker. The, the main area where he was, you know, um, relied on to contribute, he really was he, he regressed naturally in that area and was one of the reasons why the run game was so you know piss poor towards the beginning of the season. But he's also listed as a future core player. And I think the main reason for that was it's almost like it, like this Marvin Lewis type lingo or type coach speak where, you know, m- maybe maybe the on-field per- performance isn't exactly what's being valued here, but it's more of his natural presence as a locker room leader and, and as a teammate. And that's kind of where he's getting that value from. And while Uzoma is listed as a core player, you have Tyler Eifert listed as parting ways. Now, he's an impending free agent, but there was apparently rumblings on the wall that he's just not – um, it's, it's basically like a Kevin Zeidler situation where they recognize that he has increased his value and it's gotten to the point where their decision to, you know, have him on this conservative, uh, play count or snap count has almost backfired against them where he was completely healthy this year, produced re- relatively high compared to what he was expected to. And now he's kind of almost outplayed what they're willing to pay him. And it's almost to the point where he just doesn't really have a place here because they're probably not going to get him back on that one year deal on that, you know, prove it deal that he's been on for the past couple of years. And he's kind of almost outplayed that to the point where he's going to get some type of multi-year deal from another team. And it's probably not going to be, be going to be the Bengals that match that. So you have Uzoma as the future core guy who's really not really earning up to his keep. And you have Eifert, the guy who outplayed him this year, almost now with two, two feet out the door on, you know, as an impending free agent. So that was really the first thing that kind of stood out to me. I the tight end position always confuses me about the Cincinnati Bengals and how they approach it, what they do with it. Uh, CJ Uzama listed as a future core player. It's surprising for a lot of the ways that you mentioned, but it's also not surprising because they he was one of the earliest guys they signed in free agency right away. They gave him a a, a big pay jump. Now granted he he hit some decent statistics the year prior in 2018 when Eifert was hurt and he was kind of the primary guy at tight end. He had 43 catches, 439 yards and three scores. He did not play as well this year, but as did Eifert, he started to pick up steam in the passing game towards the end of the year. He started to make some more plays at the end of the year. Uh took a dip overall. 27 catches, 242 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, you know, what's what's a little concerning to me, in the previous four seasons where he's actually played in ample games and had some targets, uh, you know, 66 to 67% catch percentage in terms of, you know, targets and, and actual receptions. That's that's a little concerning to me from a position that should be a security blanket, one where you could you should hit high percentage passes a lot of the times, and a position where you should you should create some mismatches. I'll say this about Uzama sticking with him. Basically, from when the Bengals started playing a lot better and on. 
the first the first half of the season, I guess. 14 catches. I'm sorry, not 14 <laughs> catches, 14 targets. He had nine catches in the first in the first eight games. Okay. Nine catches, zero touchdowns. Final, obviously, he had 18 catches in the final eight games and the two touchdowns in the final two weeks. The final five weeks, five catches, one catch, one catch, four catches, five catches. So much like a lot of the other players in the system or in, on the team, he's, he played a bit better down the stretch. So maybe that's why they view him as one of the core players. I don't want to belabor this point on this position because I know you got a lot a lot more to get to on this. I'm a little surprised about Seathan Carter. Um, that That's something to me, I, I feel like you maybe are getting some of the same stuff that you would from a Drew Sample. Um, maybe they feel that Drew Sample is going to be the next Eifert. I don't see the athleticism. I don't see the hands. I don't see all of that that Eifert gives you. But if he is a complementary part, which would mean that Uzama is the core guy, Sample's the complementary guy, they obviously have some big plans for him in the passing game next year, I would think. Um, but this is a that's a position group, as you as you mentioned, that need that will probably need a player if Eifert does indeed go. There's probably going to need to be a high day three pick used at the position. I would think in the draft. I, I think you, you have Carter listed with Sample because a he's a restricted free agent, so all I have to do is like tender him and he'll be back. And I also think that just looking at their special teams players and who they rely on there, there's a reason why Carter made the team the first list. It was because special teams, so they must still like him there as well. And the thing with Sample, like. Like the, the whole reason, the whole head scratching nature behind drafting Sample was the fact that they, they brought back Eifert, they re signed Uzoma, they had guys like Carter and Mason Shrek there. So, why bring in Sample when you're only going to have one tight end on the field at, at all times? I think their willingness to implement him more and, and increase his role more so in 2020 is the reason why they don't see themselves re signing Eifert because, again, Eifert is probably going to make a little bit more money. He might be tempted to sign a multi year deal with some other team who's willing to take that risk. So, that, that again, that was like my biggest disconnect. That's where I thought the biggest disconnect was between the fan base and where the organization sees on a certain position. We already touched a little bit on the offensive line. Uh, the the whole thing with with that right now is that you have Trey Hopkins as as Trey, Trey Hopkins and Jonah Williams as the only guys that you can like sharpie in in terms of who's going to start. Obviously, Williams at left tackle, Hopkins just signed a three year deal at center. Those, those are your core players. Apparently, they like Michael Jordan to start at left guard more than they're, or they're more comfortable with letting him start at left guard more so than John Miller. We already talked about Miller as well. The, the Miller thing makes sense to me because it's like they basically signed Miller to a three year to a three year deal last year, but it was basically to just solve that problem for one year and kind of readdress it in 2020. So if they go out in the draft and maybe, you know, get a, get a guy, get a guard in like, you know, rounds two through four, or maybe sign some, some type of veteran in free agency to give Miller some competition, I'm definitely open to that because Miller is not a guy that you want to have as your second or third best offensive lineman. He's fine if he's your fourth or fifth best offensive lineman. If that's the case, then you probably have a decent union on your hands, but he's obviously not the type of player that you can say we're definitively comfortable with him starting. So that's fine. With Bobby Hart, though, he is listed as a complimentary player, which basically means he's going to make the team in 2020. It's just a matter of if he's going to start it or if he's going to be that swing tackle. And that was 
kind of the rumors, I guess, last year when they drafted Williams. And I think he's listed as that mainly because of how Fred Johnson played, who's listed as a bubble player. But that essentially means that he's going to be back in the offseason and he's going to compete. And I don't know if they're comfortable with having just those two guys compete at right tackle. But I think with how Johnson played, it, it, it opens the door for Hart to not be the starter. And it really will just depend on their aggressiveness in terms of how they want to address competition at that spot. Because if you just have Williams and Hart and Johnson, you're probably likely to add at least one more. It just may not be this expensive free agent or the second round pick that maybe some fans want, want to happen. You know what this list tells me based on what Daner has been hearing and based on what our eyes tell us and based on what, I mean, even what we saw at the end of the year where we saw some improvement on the offensive line that didn't have a Jonah Williams, that Cordy Glenn was kind of cycled in and out of the lineup. Billy Price, same thing. Uh, John Miller missed a game uh, with an injury, but there was still some improvement. You know what this list tells me, though, John? Even with our optimism at, hey, you know, they were able to run the ball and this and that and the other thing. These positions need work, man. They need Mm -hmm. players. They need players, and they need investments again. And, you know, two years after they take Billy Price in the first round, they're going to need, within the first three rounds at least, to probably take an offensive tackle or an interior offensive line, if not both. And I, I think if you're going to take Joe Burrow, you better you better make damn sure that you're going to protect that investment. And you better, you better make damn sure that you bring in guys who can play. If you think Fred Johnson can play, great. And if he proves to you that he can play, great. But you better you better have you better give that kid, Joe Burrow, the best chance possible to succeed and when you have five guys that are quote-unquote parting ways another guy that's a tradable piece and two other guys that are bubble that's not a good state of the offensive line to me so you you mentioned bobby hart he's none of this right right (laughs) right so so yeah uh, people who can see cordy glenn like He's listed as parting ways. I think everybody kind of assumed that e- even with him coming back and the offensive line improving, it's it's still Jonah Williams' a spotted left tackle, and they still like hard enough to give him competition there. So the, the the areas for Glenn to start on this offensive line, I think, have not all been evaporated, but essentially have been, yeah, they're, they're gone. Like, they like Michael Jordan enough, obviously, left guard, and that was the spot that Glenn could have taken. The whole thing with him has gone to the point where he's just not going to be around, and with him being a free agent, they can't really trade him. So that's basically an inevitability. But there are some free agent decisions. The majority of free agent decisions are going to come from the defensive side of the ball. And one area that was interesting to me was the interior defensive line. Um, they have both Carlos Dun- or Daner listed both Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins as complementary players. And I think partly because you know they're not – since they're on the other side of 30, it's more of they're not necessarily a part of the long-term future and they only have, you know, at, at this point, three or three or two years left on their respective deals. And the fact that Dunlap, you know, exploded onto the scene so much kind of saved him from being potentially a tradable piece. And that second half of the season really saved his skin in terms of him still being a part of the of the defensive line. But the thing that stood out to me was Josh Tupo, who's a restricted free agent, listed as a complimentary piece. And Andrew Billings listed as the free agent decision. Um, so essentially the, the the discussion there is that both Tupo and Billings are kind of redundant players in terms of they both do similar things. They can both be used in similar ways. 
and it just seems easier to just tender uh, Tupo and let Billings test the market. I think they would like to bring Billings back because he's still a solid player, and they still have some some depth issues on the defensive line. But when everyone's healthy, you have Rennell Wren, who you drafted last year. You still like Ryan Glasgow, what he can do. You have potentially Niles Scott coming back from free agency, even though they, they, um, he doesn't see Niles Scott being brought back. And you still have Atkins and Tupo as well. So you have a lot of bodies there that when everyone's healthy, there's not a lot of diversity there. And it's kind of not silly, but it, it, some resources can be used better than bringing back both Billings and Tupo. And I think with since it's, it'll be easier to retain Tupo, I think that's why you have him designated as that and why Billings is probably more on the outside looking in than vice versa. Interesting stuff on the defensive line. I thought, just to kind of echo your sentiments, I thought over the past couple of seasons I've seen some uh, maybe a little bit marginal but but noticeable improvement from Andrew Billings and Josh Tupo. Um, granted, they are limited. They are two down at most players. They are run stuffers. But, um, you know, as the team kind of played a little bit better towards the end of the year, I saw I saw some things out of both of those guys that uh, I liked. I, I You know, you said there's a lot of, carbon copies in in the interior line right and you, you've got the two kind of active penetrating guys in in Gino and Glasgow and then you've got the wild card and Ronell Wren and then you've got the two big boys who are your run guys your Pat Sims type of guys in Josh Tupo and Andrew Andrew uh, Billings so you know I I look at it and I see um The, the, my concern with Glasgow is he's been on IR the past two years with knee injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I like what the, the defensive line is clearly better when he's active and he's in games. It's very proven and it was much more proven in 2018, but I, I worry about the longevity there. Um, I, I don't know what's in store for him. He, he seems like a promising player, but uh, I, I'm a little worried there. To go to the edge players, I, I you know, I agree about Dunlap. I'm really interested about Andrew Brown. Um, you know, he kind of showed some things both in the preseason, a little bit in the regular season, as a guy you can move around a bit. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see what what's in store for him going forward. Absolutely, and I think for the yeah for the most part, the defensive line doesn't really move the needle or shock us in any way. Hubbard is listed as the future core player. They can't extend him this year, but if they could, I believe they would try to, to get him as in the cheapest deal possible. Um, now going into the back seven linebacker, I think is in the same vein as defensive line. There's nothing too surprising here. The only one that you can have any relative confidence going forward in is Jermaine Pratt. He's listed as a complimentary part. He's going to be on the team. He's probably going to start because they're just, they just might not have enough good, good enough bodies to compete <laughs> to have him compete for that starting job. They're going to have Jordan Evans on the bubble, which makes a lot of sense. He's entering last year, his deal, Hardy Nickerson, Leroy Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, get out. Basically you're, you're done. <laughs> Nick, Nick Vigil is the, is the intriguing uh, aspect here because as an impending free agent, you would think that, you know, along with Reynolds and Nickerson, he would be shown the door as well. Not even interested in bringing him back, but just like some of these other guys, he had a promising second half of the season and not like completely you know, looking back to how he started 2019, he was one of the worst linebackers in the NFL. And I was kind of along the same lines of how he played in 2018, but he also looked a lot improved. And I, I, you have to wonder how much of getting rid of Preston Brown really benefited Jermaine Pratt and Nick Vigil and putting them in the right positions to play. I think that 
if I had to guess, they're going to offer him some type of one-year prove-it deal, just kind of like what they did with Dennard last year. Obviously, with, with Dennard, it was more of he was dealing with an injury and he overvalued himself. That's why he couldn't get any type of long-term deal on the open market. With Vigil, the interest is also probably not going to be that, that much there because just hasn't put enough good enough tape out there. But with the way he ended this year and with the you know the complete liquidation of that position group for this year, I think they don't want to just go into the draft with Pratt and Evans as the only guys who played on this team last year at the position. I think Vigil is going to get offered some type of one-year deal, and it's just a matter of if he wants to bet on bet on himself or try um, or try to extend his career someplace else. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Agreed. I still would like to see a, you know, if, if they're going to run the three linebacker set, um, I, I I would like to see both Vigil and Pratt out there and, and maybe another guy that's kind of in a, a I, I don't know. I, I just view those guys as good complementary pieces whose play will rise even further with another stud in there, whoever that may be. Um, you know, a guy that can kind of free them up and make them look a little bit, uh, maybe even, maybe even look a little bit better than they actually are. Um, if that, if that statement makes any sense, um, I, I'm just, I, I see those guys as, as good parts to a whole, but you, you're still missing that one guy, right? right? You're still missing that one guy who's, who's kind of your captain of your defense, you know, a, a perfect in his prime type of player. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the guy, these two guys I feel are, can be decent to pretty good players, but they're still missing that one guy. I agree with you. I wouldn't break the bank by any means or go on a long, long-term deal for Nick Vigil, but if the price is right and, you know, you feel that you can get him along with maybe another linebacker in free agency that makes sense and you can solidify that group, uh, I would be I would be in favor of that, but uh, that price has definitely got to be right. This can't be a Bobby Hart type of contract. This can't be a you know a, a what was that type of deal. And, and it's a very delicate situation because you, you think about you, you don't want to force linebacker to be the second round pick if there's not the right player for that. But it's also like if they want some type of quality starter, they're going to have to spend more in free agency than they're accustomed to spending. So. How they handle that position is going to be is going to be crucial in terms of how this defense gets better. Finally, the like in, in, in terms of shock value, I guess we can look at cornerback position, which is where this last major potential question mark becomes. You have Darius Phillips as the as your complimentary part it makes sense. You, he's basically penciled in as a starter for next year. B.W. Webb on the bubble, 
you know, he played an incredibly up and down season. More, no. more nubs, yeah. I, I think we can say. But he's still under contract for two more years. Then you have Drake Kirkpatrick and William Jackson both listed as tradable pieces. Now, Kirkpatrick should surprise nobody. He's got the third highest cap hit on the team. He's always been incredibly inconsistent. If they trade him or cut him this year, they're dealing with minimal dead cap. You know, he still has value as a as a spot starter in this league somewhere. If the, if the value and the man is right for him, they can get some type of trade or traffic for him. The William Jackson one is interesting because he is going to he is coming off a shoulder surgery now. He's not going to be healthy until sometime in the spring. He's entering, you know, he's playing on his fifth-year option now. So he's almost, like, he could be in line for an extension, or I guess he could be in line for playing for another team. And Daniel's reasoning behind this is that, I'm reading the article right now, um, he's been disinterested here, and if the team isn't yeah. sure if, if he's willing to offer a long-term deal after the season, this could be the time to get something for him. So essentially, this would be, this offseason would be the time to maximize whatever value Jackson has because, Unfortunately, he just hasn't been playing up to the level that he showed in 2017. And now maybe that level was too high to expect for him to play for the rest of his career. Obviously, it was an incredible year according to Pro, Fo- Pro Football Focus. But e- even still, like the the ending of 2018 was still was still pretty good. And I think people think that he's still talented enough. It, it's just a matter of does he fit what they want to do here, and does he fit in terms of in terms of culture and stuff. And that's I think why you have guys like Uzoma listed as future core players, and you have a guy as talented as William Jackson as a potential tradable piece. It goes beyond, I think, what we see on the field and whether or not he's just picking up what the, the coaches are putting down. And if it's, then if that's the reason why it's just not translating onto the field. So I think we all would like to think that William Jackson is going to start for this team because he's still incredibly talented as a cornerback. But if they get a valuable offer from another team and he plays an incredibly valued position, I think that's why he's got this designation on him. Is there any inkling as to what he – or clarification as to what he means by disinterested? Um, no. Yeah, I, I saw him say that. I believe it was on Twitter, and I, I, I'm i glad you brought that up because I was going to say it, and I'm like, I don't I don't want to put words in his mouth if it wasn't Daner <laughs> that, that had actually say, said it. But, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing that, and I was like, disinterested. What, what does he mean by that? Um, th- this, to me, is – you know, we – a lot of this stuff, I mean, we talked about Uzama being kind of a, a little bit of a surprise, but and the offensive line maybe being a little worse off than than we thought it may have been towards the end of the year. But this is a position group that quietly has not only disappointed, but has obviously. I mean, you're looking, you're looking here, Phillips. It's a possibility that Phillips is one of the only guys left on the in the group um now i don't i don't see an off season where the Bengals would sh- would shed webb kirkpatrick jackson and denard all in one off season that that would be just you know that would cripple that position group but i mean i, I think that there there are there might be some major movement here um, I thought darkez denard played well at, uh when he was when he was in there it was a real bummer that he missed um, I think this team missed him when he was on the pup, uh, but I, I, you know, a guy I'd like to see back. But he brings a different set of skills than Kirkpatrick and Jackson. You keep waiting for Jackson to hit this Pro Bowl stride. It seems like he's got all these tools. He's got the speed, and whether it's the health, the lack of the big plays, the lack of corralling interceptions, any of that stuff, he just hasn't brought it. He's been pretty good right? Um, some of the metrics, like you mentioned with pro football focus, 
show that he's been very good, but some of those big plays are still lacking. And, uh, you know, you kind of had maybe envisioned a Leon Hall, Jonathan Joseph type of redux with some of these guys in there, and it it didn't really happen. Um, I, I don't think that both Kirkpatrick and Jackson are gone. I think you will get a much higher yield for Jackson than you would Kirkpatrick in terms of trade value. Um, if, if I'm a betting man, I would say probably Kirkpatrick and Webb would be gone. They, they may try and push to re-sign Denard. They keep Jackson for another, another year and then obviously give Phillips kind of a bump in, in a role. That's kind of how I would see that bring in some other help, but um, you know, this position group's very, very intriguing how that's going to play out. And oh, by the way, speaking of BW Webb, if you want to look back up to the edge defender, Kerry Wynn showing parting ways, these are L- the Lou Anarumo guys. These are the guys mm-hmm. that, that have the Lou Anarumo connection that they had big, big hopes for, for his system. And uh, not much of an impact at all from either of them, unless it was a negative one. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think Dennard is the one free agent here that you're going to see being brought back on a multi-year deal if anybody, because he was by, by and large, one of the better slot cornerbacks in the league when he was healthy. He was, he was just productive in terms of, um, of uh, receptions per coverage snap. And in terms of run defense, everything that they expected dinner to be, he was this year. And I, I get it. He only played half the year because of injuries, but you know, it, he ended the year healthy. And I think that matters more now since he, uh, you know, had an injury to end last year, and that's why that's why it affected his free agency status. But out of all of these guys listed in orange, Andrew Billings, Nick Vigil, Nick Nick Vigil, Darkos Denari, uh, CJ Fedulum, I think Denner is the most likely to be brought back on some type of multi-year deal, some type of guaranteed money attached to them. And you're right, like there, there's a reason why the Bengals, I think, claimed the Packers cornerback off their practice squad and the CFL leader in interceptions, both at cornerback positions to end, to end the year as their last act as the as at the top of the waiver order. You're going to see a lot of turnover at this position. I don't think either Greg Maven, Tory McTire, or Tony McRae are coming back. Even nope. I think a couple, a couple of them are like restricted free agents. And you're going to get you're going to get some competition for BW Webb. And regardless if he's traded or not, I don't think Drake or Patrick's coming back either. I think they want to use that cap space to their advantage and give Darius Phillips a chance to start. So Jackson is probably only traded if they get an offer they can't refuse. Dennard's probably going to be negotiating a multi-year deal with the team. And BW Web's future is kind of in the balance. And that's why you kind of have, you, you kind of see the writing on the wall already with, with the signing of those two young cornerbacks to kind of rebuild the depth that is going to be torn apart in the coming months. Yeah. And I mean, otherwise, there's not a ton of other uh, surprises. I mean, uh, a little bit of a surprise that Sean Williams is listed as a core guy. I thought he took a big step back this year. Jesse Bates for the first half of the year, took a big step back, but really played nice, nice football towards the end of the year there. Brandon Wilson, interesting. Um, you know, I, I think he is probably going to, especially with a potential rise in prominence by Darius Phillips on defense, Brandon Wilson's probably going to get the nod uh, in terms of value with the club as a special teamer, a return man, obviously a, re- a reserve safety. Really like Fedulum. Um, you know, especially what he does on special teams, an unheralded guy. And, uh, you know, I, I hope they, they seems to be an affordable guy they can bring back. Maybe some people would say that he's a dime a dozen. You can find guys like that in the draft, but uh, he's played well for them in, in kind of a reserve special teams role, I think. So I'd like to see him back. And then, you know, the special teamers, they may bring in another kicker, but Bullock had probably one of his best seasons as a, uh, as a professional kicker, like him or not. 
Um, he, he had statistically one of his best seasons as a pro kicker. And uh, one of the things with, with special teams, especially now that Darren Simmons can't got a contract extension, they want continuity there. Uh, and mm-hmm. they want their trio of long snapper, punter, kicker, all on the same page because that's your snapper, your holder, obviously, your field, your place kicker, your snapper, and then your punter. I mean, I, I, these guys all work in unison. So, obviously, there's something there that Simmons really likes in terms of a synergy. Absolutely. A- anything else that stands out to you on this list? Not particularly. I just, you know, I, I think we, we tended to uh, – well, I, I'll go I'll go one one other spot that uh, is one of the deepest positions and you look at running back and I think Rodney Anderson, if, 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 if big, if big, if, if he can stay healthy, um, that's why I said if like 17 times, if he can stay healthy, I think he can be a, a good complimentary piece. I thought Travion Williams, especially with Anderson going down, I thought he may get a couple more looks, um, a couple more touches on offense, but you know, uh, he didn't really show much. Bernard is who Bernard is. We know who he is. The thing that's interesting to me, John, is future core Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is entering uh, what is his, uh, I, I believe his last year of his rookie deal, right? Mm-hmm. So he has made it known he wants to be here. He has, you know, whether you want to truly believe him or not, I, I take him at his word. He is a rah-rah guy. He has back-to-back 1,100-yard seasons. Um, I I find it interesting that he's labeled as a future core. Does that mean to you that he's in the plans for a long-term deal? It's the same thing with Hubbard. I think that they want to get both those guys extended as soon as possible. They're going to be uh, – it's probably going to happen after um, – if, if they extend A.J. Green, it's probably going to – start after that or in terms of picking up steam it's going to start after that because there's a possibility that Mixon holds out i'm not saying it's going to, it's going to happen but i'm i'm not holding him against it i think it's a possibility and i think that they realize that okay with, with how he played at the end of the, at the end of this year the fact that we're going to have some more money to work with we're going to have some more immediate cash to to dispense there's a possibility that you know this guy could potentially sit out and, and miss a couple of games they're they're gonna they're gonna be in the worst for doing that. I think that both Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison have heard that you know that they want to work out an extension with him. There, there's obviously an agreement on both sides that they want to get a deal done. I think that's why you have him labeled as this with, with how he's played and with the rumblings about what's going to happen. It, it's a matter of if if he's signed before the season or if he's potentially missing games for, for a holdout. You know it's. It's weird that we see this with running backs, but it's also not weird because they want to get their money as quick as possible. And with Joe Mixon, he's turning 24 this this summer. He's still got, you know, presumably a, a few more good years left, and he wants to maximize off that. And the Bengals realize that they're going to have some more space to deal with. And I think that's why you have him listed here because an extension would mean he's part of the team for the next four or five years or however long that deal is. So with how he's played and with the, the rumblings of what's going to happen, I, I think that, that didn't really surprise me that much. Even, even considering he's going into a contract year. Yeah, wide receiver is also an interesting spot on this list. So I, I guess I'll end it with, with this, John, and ask you this question. Um, there are six yellow players on here, meaning they're listed as tradable piece or tradable mm-hmm. pieces. Given the fact that this is still a team that has some Marvin Lewis guys on it, given the fact that this is a team that obviously Zach Taylor wants to put his stamp on, 
and a team that needs still a lot of work at offensive tackle, interior line, linebacker, potentially cornerback, wide receiver, quarterback. How many of those people, I mean, do you, do you see a lot of trades being, maybe even throw Cordy Glenn in there, the value would be low, what you would net for him, but he might be a guy you, you try and trade. So six or seven guys that are potential trade guys, uh, do you, how many of these do you see actually being executed? Um, well, I, don't think, I don't think they can trade Glenn anymore because he's going to be a free agent. But oh, he is uh, he is gonna set to be a free agent. I thought he had another year. But okay. oh wait, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Regardless, he, he, has, he, has no, he has no dead money, so essentially he he can be treated as a free agent. But they can right. still trade. He's got right. one year left on this deal. Um, I think it's it's gonna take a lot of wheeling and dealing, but I think they're gonna be able to find a trade partner for Dalton. I don't think they're gonna trade Green. I think they're just gonna leave that door open in, in terms of of a leverage tactic. But I think we're gonna see him go all the way to July before that deal is with, with him on the franchise tag. I don't think they're going to be able to find a trade partner for Kirkpatrick. I think he's destined to get cut at this point. And I think the same thing goes with, in terms of William Jackson is also, you can apply for John Ross where they recognize that there's value there for, for, from another team's perspective, but they also recognize the value that he could still potentially have to this team. You have to wonder if they want to see him with a, an improvement under center at quarterback and, how he can expand upon his game in his fourth year. I think the most likely out of these is Andy Dalton. And to round it out, Billy Price probably has the least amount of value out of here, but they still want to market him as a former first-round pick, someone who could potentially compete as a starter. If, if they can get anything for Billy Price, I would advise them to take it. Just eat the dead money that they have. I think cutting him or trading him would, would cost them about four, three or four million dead money, which is a lot for one player when you're talking about the Bengals, who typically end the year with around five million total dead money. So, that would be uncharacteristic of them, but if they can get anything, I would definitely advise them to do so. But definitely, if I were to bet any money on any of these guys getting traded, it's definitely going to be Dalton. So you would you would probably say maybe less trades than maybe what some people would think based yeah. on. Okay, yeah. I, I I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Uh, good stuff, John, um, and good stuff to Paul Daner Jr. of the Athletic for for putting that together. We wanted to put our own spin on that, so. Um, good stuff from you, John, good analysis there. And we hope you enjoyed that. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Get this podcast on any number of audio platforms, wherever you download your podcasts, subscribe to our channel, get our show along with other shows in the Cincy jungle network. Also check out our YouTube channel and uh, try and join us live either via YouTube, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. It's also up on CincyJungle.com. And, of course, keep, keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, and Bengals insight. Let's move on, John. We've done a series of these with a number. We should probably keep a list of who we've done. I mean, uh, we've done a, a lot of these, both of our own analysis and with help of others from the SB Nation Network. We did the big three quarterbacks and Justin Herbert, Tua Tagovailoa, and uh, Joe Burrow. By the way, Tua did declare for the draft, so he is entering the draft for those who do not know. We did uh, a couple of offensive linemen, a, a wide receiver, and uh, an edge rusher. So we've, we've got a lot. So go back to our older episodes if you missed any of that and check out some of the, the player profiles that we have done. John, I'm going to let you kick it off. 
this week with your prospect. If unless you're uncomfortable, I can I can kick off. Uh, nah, it's, it's best for the ill-prepared guy to lead off with his presentation. Okay, so. all right, hey, get, <laughs> it, get, get, get the jitters, the presentation jitters. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so go I, I, I'm I'm going to stick with um, I'm going to go a senior bowl guy this week and a senior bowl guy next week to prepare for the senior bowl in two weeks, and I'm going to start with AJ Green. No, not the receiver, the cornerback hmm. out of Oklahoma State. A four-year player out of Oklahoma State. I think he, he fits a lot about what they would look for at the position. I know one cornerback a couple weeks ago with A.J. Terrell of Clemson who had a decent game against Ohio State. But if they don't bring back A.J. Green for this year, they can always replace that name, that name on the roster with a cornerback who's going to be at the Senior Bowl out of Oklahoma State. I like his production for starters. He had three consecutive years at Oklahoma State with 39 solo tackles. Believe it or not, Solo tackles is a, is a good indication of, of production in terms of success in the NFL for cornerbacks specifically. It's it's solo tackles and pass deflections. And over the over his three years where he started at Oklahoma State, 21 pass deflections, six interceptions. I think he led the Big 12 interceptions in 2017 with four. So, you know, say what you want to back the Big 12. Production is production, whether it's inflated or not. There, there's, there's some skill sets to like about this guy. I mean, 6'1", 190. He, he could be listed more on the, on the under on, – maybe not 190, maybe, maybe more close to 185. Could be listed in terms of more on the, on the other sides, but has a lot of experience in, in, in these cover one, single high safety type um, uh, type of uh, coverage concepts or whatever. He's very he's very comfortable backpedaling. He's very, com- very comfortable playing with, with his eyes towards the ball, very comfortable being left in zone is able to just, you know, pound down on, on these in-breaking routes in terms of backpedaling and then clicking and closing. Uh, the ball skills are obviously still there with, with the amount of ball production that he's had over the course of his three years. The athleticism is, is evident. He can flip his hips very easily. He can run with those vertical routes. But just kind of like it was with Terrell, the the, the, the strength of the catch point can kind of co- can kind of come into his way a little bit. The lack of size is obviously concerning. You have to wonder, he played on the boundary so much in college, but maybe he won't be able to get away with that in the NFL where he had to use that length and that lack of size in the slot to, to maximize whatever potential that he has. But I think you always have to look at experienced guys with a lot of ball production and a lot of production around, around the ball, whether it be solo tackles or getting your hands on the ball. Again, it's the Big 12, and you, you can de- devalue defensive players if you want. But, you know, Bengals fans should be int- interested by the name for starters, but a good athlete with a lot of production. He's going to test well prior to the combine. We get to see him extensively at the Senior Bowl. I think this guy has a lot of traits to be a, potentially a late second round or early or a, a late day two or early day three draft pick, depending on how he tests and how he looks in these offseason workouts. It's just a guy to watch for. Any any idea on 40 time or, or potential 40 time, anything like that? Uh, is he is he quick? Uh, is, he, is he fast or is he more quick than fast? I mean, I, I'm looking at some of his stats and we've got it up on the screen here. I mean, I, I'm looking. I lo- I love the sophomore year. 39, 39 solos, four interceptions, five pass defense. But I, I also like the next year, eleven passes defense uh, as a junior. So I mean, I mean, I like some of that stuff. But uh, just curious about some of the measurable stuff that uh, may come with. So, like, obviously one of the most athletic cornerbacks as possible. I don't think he's going to blaze a, 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 an incredible 40 time there. I think it's going to be more in the, the mid to the late 4-4s in terms of a best-case scenario. It, it's, all, it's all about traits, though. So, like, you know, if, if your cornerback isn't the fastest, but if he runs, you know, good agility drills in terms of a three-corner short shuttle, there's value in that. I think the explosion is going to come off the screen at, at Indianapolis at the Combine. Um, I, I think it's, it's going to be, in terms of an all-around athletic profile, which is kind of dangerous to do, it's 
it needs to be weighted properly with that lack of uh, lack of size. It's probably going to measure in under 195 pounds, but I think we're going to see decent speed, decent decent agility at the combine. Yeah, Michael Michael Flukas in the live Facebook chat said I thought he had issues with his recovery speed. Uh, I don't know if you've seen anything like that on on tape, but um... again, he's not he's not not a blazer, and he and he sometimes loses the ball. And you know, even for being as experienced he is, he does have some shortcomings. We're not talking about a potential first round player here, but it's somebody that I'm definitely going to be watching in one on ones at, at at the Senior Bowl because that you know those drills are designed for receivers to get easy separation, and you can really tell which cornerbacks are, are able to handle that, you know, the, the, that type of quickness off the line. And we're going to see how good he is up against line scrimmage because he, you know, he's been most comfortable playing off the ball in those zone concepts. So seeing him in, in press coverage and bump run coverage is going to be a great test to see how, how diverse of a skill set that he has at the position. Sounds good. You do have a, uh, from, from listener Ken Dipple, uh, he has been asking us for over, about a week now about um, Antonio Gandhi-Golden from Liberty. He's a wide receiver. He wants to know about him, seeing as how you are going to the Senior Bowl, and this is a small school kid. He is huge. He's 6'4", 220, um, kind of an out and Tate type of guy. So uh, don't you don't necessarily have to do a full blown report, but we've got a little assignment for you. If you can keep an eye on on that player for us, um, that would be awesome. And uh, let us know what you think about him because our listener is very very curious about that. Yeah, I will. I will only look at a Liberty player if somebody asks me to. Okay. <laughs> yep. Um, so I'm going to go. A couple of weeks ago, I previewed a wide receiver and Michael Pittman Jr. And he is a guy that also, I mentioned Alden Tate, he kind of has a little bit of a, a similar skill set, the big body, kind of the up, you know, vertical routes and, and 50-50 balls and, you know, maybe a short, quick screen pass type of guy and, you know, maybe a little bit of a limited route tree, but a big body, decent hands and high high production while he was at USC, I'm going to stick in the pack 12 with another receiver, but a guy who can do more things and a guy who is really, he's one of my favorite players in the draft. He really is uh, because he's just, he's just fun. And if you have a, this, the key with this player is to have somebody with a creative offensive mind. That's going to commit certain amount of touches in creative ways to get this player the football. Um, and it's it's wide receiver out of Colorado, LaVisca Chenault Jr. Um, he is 6'2", 220. He's a big-bodied guy. He can run pretty well. Some people are saying he may may crack the uh, low 4'4s, maybe mid 4'4s. He's had a little bit of uh, a couple little nicks and injuries in his career with the Buffaloes, but a guy that just, uh, you know, he just is fun to watch. Um, sometimes you see a player and you, and, and Chenault's a guy who's been listed as maybe a late one, a guy who's maybe early second round, that sort of thing. So if the Bengals end up maybe trading an AJ green, trading a John Ross or both, um, you know, if they end up losing those guys, this may be a position all of a sudden of, of real prominence of need to go with a Tyler Boyd, nod and Tate, that sort of thing. This is a guy who can, do things out of the wildcat. This is a guy who can, um, you know, help you out in a number of different ways, stretch the field, do the short passes, and do a number of, of 
fun things. But like I mentioned, he's going to need an offensive mind to help get him the ball. Now you look at it and you go, well, compared to some other wide receivers, there's the big 2018 season in nine games where he had 86 catches and over a thousand yards. He had the, you know, the, the big plays on the ground and you see 11 total touchdowns that year, only four receiving touchdowns this year in 11 games. Um, but you see there are times where there's big playability. You see the stuff out of, out of uh, you know, the shotgun and the wildcat where he's lined up in the backfield and can score touchdowns. So a guy I think that can be a real fun player for a team and a guy that can, uh, you know, be kind of a Swiss Army knife type of player for a team. I worry that the Bengals staff, if they were to draft a guy like that, We've seen the Bengals draft fun players from college before and not utilize them properly, or they let them waste away behind veterans and that sort of thing. This is a guy you need to get the ball, you know, you need to create opportunities for this guy. You really need to create opportunities for him. Maybe even as a return man early on, um, he didn't have many of those opportunities, but the couple of times he did return punts and kicks, they were big plays. So I really like this kid, John. Um, I, you know, I don't know how well he'll, he will test. I think he'll have decent straight line speed. I think you'll see some decent numbers and maybe the shuttles and whatnot. But good hands. Um, kind of a big to me. Uh, maybe not so much in the return game, but a little a, a bigger bodied Percy Harvin. A guy that can just do a lot of different things for an offense the, the floor, unfortunately, is probably a Cordero Patterson. Um, you know, uh, so I don't know if you want to think about using a high second-round pick on a player like that, especially if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. The point may become moot if you bring back A.J. Green, you keep John Ross. Maybe you don't need a guy like this, but a fun, fun player to watch and a guy that can bring a, a different dynamic to an offense. My whole thing with – receivers specifically who don't end up dominating at where they play. Now a thousand yards has, is basically like we, we've attached a thousand yards to this arbitrary degree of success when we haven't really contextualized what that really means in the grand scheme of an offense in 2018, Colorado, I believe looking this up right now had, okay. So they had about 3000 passing yards in that year. So a thousand yards is pretty good for a receiver who, you know, just looking at, yeah, so he was the feature receiver of that 2018 Colorado team, which is good for him. It shows that an offense can fl- can flow through him, and that's that's indicative of potential success in the NFL. For both, both for guys who haven't really done that consistently throughout the course of their career, I wonder if their athleticism and if their type of skill set can translate into the NFL. Because for a guy who you want to compare to Percy Harvin, not necessarily that that's a stone cold comparison, but Percy Harvin was this crazy athlete that could just do anything that he wanted on an NFL field when he was perfectly healthy and he could run past guys. He could make guys miss. It really comes down to for some of these guys who, you know, who need specific ways to win. It'll come down to how their athleticism can translate because for, for a lot of receivers who, you know, or are, are more big body guys that can kind of just out muscle guys at the catch point in college, that, that skill set becomes harder to translate in the NFL. You look at guys like, you know, Mike Williams and Laquan Treadwell. For, for some, it works. For some, it doesn't. For, like, DeAndre Hopkins, he's managed to make an NFL, you know, he's been become an NFL star off of that one skill set. But for some guys who can't necessarily separate based off of any type of above-average athleticism trait, 
it becomes hard for that production to translate into the NFL. So the size definitely intrigues me. That that one year of production at Colorado intrigues me. So those are both good signs for him. It's just the fact that he wasn't as consistent with that production is, is worrisome. And I wonder if he's going to have that one athleticism trait that he can rely on to succeed in the NFL. And like you're right, like the the, the most fun Bengals gadget player that they've ever had was really in recent memory was Andrew Hawkins. And he is a, his athleticism definitely translated because like there there would be times on bubble screens where guys wouldn't be able to touch him. But obviously we're talking about a completely different type of player, different, someone who's you know, completely different in terms of size and athleticism wise. So the, the, the ability to do multiple, multiple things on the field intrigues me. It's just a matter of if that athleticism is going to translate into the NFL where it's much harder to make guys miss and, and go over guys and produce in ways like that. So I don't like to make excuses for players, but I did watch a little bit of Colorado football this year and, and the quarterback, Steven Montez took a step back from 2018. Um, he, he missed a lot of plays that were there and uh, I mean, you look at his, you look at his statistics, um, you know, never cracked 20 touchdown passes in his Buffalo's career while playing in 12 games a piece the past three seasons. So not a lot of statistical production from the quarterback there. I, Montez has size and all that kind of stuff. That's a different prospect for another time to talk about, but that you, you bring up a valid point though, John is, you know, is he is he very very good for what teams like to do in college, or was Colorado just scratching the surface as to what innovative play callers in the NFL could do with a guy like that? I could see a Cliff Kingsbury along with a Kyler Murray. You know, pairing this kid with Kyler Murray, you got an aging Larry Fitzgerald. You know, this that could be a fit there atop, you know, the second round because the Cardinals have an early pick there, I think. Um, mm-hmm. The Saints, the way they use guys all over the place. He could be a fun player on that offense to pair with with Michael Thomas. I mean, you, you want to give credit to Zach Taylor for having this offensive mind and Brian Callahan and, all, you know, they didn't really show much of that this last year. But if they get, quote unquote, their guys and these guys that have these type of skills, who knows? You know, maybe these are the types of players they need to get to create all kinds of different mismatches. This guy, I think, can be that in the NFL. But your concern is is valid, John. Is it is it he's already hit his prime and, you know, kind of peaked in college, as they say, or is it is his ceiling, you know, kind of really, really high because he was in a limited offense? We don't know, but I'd like to think it's the former rather than uh the the latter you know so um yeah that's my guy lavisca chanel it only takes one team to, to, to take that chance on him and and for a guy who's had such an interesting career as him depending on how he tests it could be a team as, as high in the top 40 so definitely name to watch yep Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're going to move on here to a couple of quick awards. Last week we did uh, 2019 season awards. We did offensive MVP, uh, I think defensive MVP, special teams MVP, and coach of the year. I think those were the the ones we we hit last week. Um, 
I, I, we'll go a little lesser known here, uh, John. I think we can do – you want to start with most improved player? Sure. All right. Do you want me to go first this time? <laughs> go first, yeah. Um, th- this one's hard for me because, there, unfortunately, a-, a couple of the players that showed a lot of promise and a lot of improvement ended up being injured for the team. Uh, they, they ended up missing some time, and that's not uh, – that's that's kind of unfortunate. Um, I, I'm, I'm tempted to go in a lot of different directions, but I'll, I'll say Brandon Wilson um, as, as most improved. And granted, you know, kick returns in this day and age aren't really, you know, thought of as uh, – it's, it's not a big part of the game because of rule changes and whatnot, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was kind of the guy behind Phillips. Phillips, you know, broke out and had a, a few nice returns as well, but Wilson came in there and basically made a bid for the Pro Bowl as a return man. So, um, unfortunately, both guys were hurt during the year and uh, did not end up playing the entire season, but uh, I, I think that Brandon Wilson – showed me a lot in terms of improvement, especially as a kick returner. Granted, that's not necessarily, yeah, you want him to shine there, but you also want him to shine on defense. But overall, um, I think that that's a guy that I would go with as most improved. So are we doing most improved and breakout player, or are we basically like combining those two as to mean the same thing? I, well, let's do I, whatever you want. Let's do the same thing. I okay. Don't. <laughs> so yeah like so like i was thinking about like if we're if we're doing both of them then i have to like split my answer but if we're making them like basically mean the same thing if we're if we're using improved as also breakout then i think the answer to me is obvious and it's odd tape and for for how the expectations for him in his rookie year varied based off of who you talk to. For for most fans, they saw him, you know, have some highlights in training camp in the preseason. They thought this guy can be a starter immediately, and then he got put in a Marvin Lewis's doghouse in his rookie year. He had that one uh, crucial blunder against Baltimore that basically got him shut down for the rest of the year. I think Marvin Lewis actually called him out during the post game press conference for that. But what what we've seen a lot for for young receivers, not named AJ Green in in a Bengals uniform under Marvin Lewis, on take out that same treatment. But he got a second chance to prove himself, and it was it was, you know, Damian Willis this, Damian Willis that in the preseason. And a lot of people kind of forgot about Auden Tate, but when Damian Willis didn't step up in the regular season, it was Auden Tate who did, and basically took snaps away from him. He became the starter over Damian Willis based off of just him outproducing him, and the, the coaches recognizing that. And in this season alone, he was by and large the, their most consistent and productive receiver when he was healthy. There were times where Tyler Tyler Boyd just wouldn't necessarily step up in some games and he had uh, you know the stretch of 88 yards 50 yards 91 yards 65 yards 65 yards in like five is five of these six games and you know the, the touchdowns only came only came in one game against Arizona but just in terms of when he was out there he was consistent and he was doing what we saw at Florida State like this was a player who had a very specific type of skill set like we talked about with receivers who couldn't necessarily win off separation college they went off just outbodying guys but we saw that translate very easily in, in the NFL and in Andy Dalton's career, he's been more comfortable, you know, just throwing to guys who just made plays on the ball instead of throwing guys open who could create separation. Auden Tate fit what 
Andy Dalton want, needed him perfectly in, in some of these clutch situations. It was a shame when he got injured and, you know, how he had to miss the final few games of the season. And he kind of slid down towards the end of the year. But there would just be, you know, we, you know times every week where Auden Tate would just make your jaw drop. And you're thinking, well, this isn't anything new from what we've seen from Florida State, but it's actually being realized in his second year compared to where he was last year to the opportunity that, that he got this year. He looked exactly as the type of player that you would expect for somebody with that skill set. It's rare for receivers who are drafted that late to carve out a niche role for him, but the fact that A.J. Green was hurt, that Willis was you know, progressing from his preseason stardom, he stepped up when they needed to, and he made a lot of big plays this year. So I, he, I, I think he's pretty easy for me, the most improved. Yeah, yep, that's a good one. Uh, where are we going next? We had uh, – let's see – I got to get that list in front of me. I should have done that. Um, do you remember what we had, John? What we had listed for, la- for, for last year, or for or last week, or for for this week? The one that for this week, the awards. Did we do? Did we do rookie? We didn't do rookie. Let's do rookie of the year. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll start. Uh, I, I'm tempted to go Mike Jordan because of how low my expectations were for for how he finished the year, but I think it's still comfortably Pratt. And I have to give credit to Stanley Morgan, too, for, for his contributions to the special teams. But with the way that Pratt fought through a lot of inconsistencies early on, the fact that he was struggling to get out on the field because, you know, it was obvious that the coaches didn't completely trust him there. But they said, hey, Preston Brown's gone. You're a new Mike linebacker. We're going to put you where we think you can succeed. And it still was a little rough patch towards the early on of his starting career. But when he turned it on, man, he looked like an actual asset out there. And that's something that we haven't seen from a Bengals linebacker in a long time. He was a guy that I really liked coming out of college with limited starting experience, but you love the athleticism and traits. You love the, the ability to get around the ball, to to trust his instincts, and to make actual form impact tackles. And we saw that briefly in the preseason, like, hey, we actually might have a player at linebacker here. And we saw that oftentimes towards the end of the season, you know, quality stops in the run game, the ability to knife through blocks on, on some of these outside runs, to take on blockers, to shed them, to find the ball. Rare traits to see from a Bengals linebacker, especially when you're playing next to Preston Brown and Nick Vigil. But he stepped up when when they needed to and when the defense really started to improve it, as that starting role got a lot of quality snaps this year. I can't wait to see what he does in year two. But easily, in my opinion, aside from Sam Morgan's special teams, the most impressive rookie I saw. Going with Ryan Finley. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I will go with Pratt as well. For I, 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 You said many of the same things I would have said uh so I, I am curious though as i mentioned when we were doing the roster breakdown i am curious to to see you know i, I kind of pegged him as what what daner did as you know a decent complimentary guy in a group you know can be a good second linebacker in a group that still needs its stud but who you know i'm curious to know maybe he's just a guy that could grow into a stud with with more snaps. You know, you mentioned the limited snaps in college, which is true. He was a converted safety, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I'm curious to see what lies ahead for him. I, I would love for him to prove me wrong and become the stud, but uh, definitely a, a good piece. And, you know, in a draft class that was severely disappointing for a number of reasons, he was he seemed to be a good find at least towards the end of the season there. Um. This one's kind of my baby, unsung hero of the year. So a lot of you who read cincyjungle.com, a lot of times we say this is a, um, 
you know, maybe it's a lot of times it goes to a, a defensive lineman or offensive lineman. Sometimes it goes to just uh, a backup guy that, uh, you know, steps up because of injury or, you know, a guy that is a starter, but steps up well because of injury. Um, you know, I, we, we talked about Mixon being the MVP and all that good stuff. And we hemmed and hawed about, about Boyd. Um, I, I'm going to go with Boyd on this one. Um, and, and not that he's unsung because he had the thousand yard season, but you know, th- there were some lumps that he took this year. There was, you know, he kind of called out the staff a little bit and all of a sudden, lo and behold, they get him the ball and things are looking a little better. Um, he played well, like Mixon, um, proved that he wasn't just a one-year wonder, that teams didn't game plan for him when A.J. Green was out last year, and that's the only reason why. Uh, he proved that he can play, and he proved that he can step up. Yeah, he wasn't maybe as consistent this year as he was last year in terms of game-to-game production and, and big plays, but um, you know, Mixon got the love on offense. You can even say Dalton got some love towards the end of the year on offense. Um I usually like to give this to like a Gio Bernard. I feel, I feel like this is the honorary Gio Bernard award, but um, I'm going to go with Tyler Boyd and, and maybe I made it a little easy on myself by saying that, but um, you know, I, he, he like Mixon shows the fire in the heart. He seems to like being in Cincinnati as evidenced by his contract extension that he signed this, this last off season. So um, I'm going to go with Boyd. And I, I I love the logic there because Boyd is like the, this core player, but he still did a lot of things that, that have gone unnoticed and it wasn't as flashy or consistent as it was last year, but he still did. He still did clips that thousand yard mark. And we have to give him credit for that, for fighting through a lot of the, the struggles that he had to deal with, you know, Ryan Finley and the struggles of Andy Dalton. So I like that pick a lot. I'm going to go with the guy we talked about earlier in the show, Josh Tupo, just because, you know, the third most snaps for a defensive interior player this year you had to deal with the Glasgow injury they didn't really trust Andrew Brown to play a lot of snaps this year which is kind of surprising to me but when going transitioning to a scheme that we haven't really seen the Bengals do a lot with with this 5-2 with this odd man fronts you had Tupo playing basically everywhere that wasn't an edge defender you had him at five technique three technique true nose the one technique shaded over the center's shoulder and he was about as consistent as you could expect for someone playing you know 400 snaps the most I think in his career so far and in, in a contract year, he did a lot of the little things very well. It was that Raider, it was the Raiders game where I really wanted to highlight him in, in my weekly film review, just of how stout he was against that talented offense. Like yeah. Rodney Hudson, um, Richie Incognito, uh, Gabe Jackson, a lot of road grading guys. He he stunned them in this place, man. I think he had like five stops that game. That that was just one of his many great games this year that didn't have gone really unnoticed because you play between Carlos Dunlap and Gene Watkins, who get the pressures, who get the sacks and whatnot. Tupo is one of their best, if not one of the best run defenders that they had on this team this year. And, and part of the reason why that you know statistic for them in terms of run defense improved as the year went on, a guy who definitely has earned his keep to stay on the team for this year and for the amount of versatility that they had him use. Like he was, he's this 340 pound guy who's basically pegged as a nose tackle, but you had him playing over the shoulder of, of some right tackles from, from now and then. And he still did fairly well. They're a, a better athlete than I think, people give him credit for and just a guy who's really worked his way into being a, a great complimentary piece. So a guy that not a lot of people recognize when they're watching the games, but someone who's about as consistent as you could expect for one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And a large, large human being, a, a massive human being. Um, 
I almost want to change my answer, but I'm not going to be that wishy-washy. Michael Flukas in the live Facebook chat says Trey Hopkins is my unsung hero. That is it. That is a very good pick. Yeah, that is a very not th- not that yours was not John. Yours was an excellent pick as well. Um, but Trey Hopkins is a no one likes Trey Hopkins more than me. So yeah, that he you know that and that's part of how that how this award kind of came. You know, it's it's a guy that gets overlooked. And, uh, you know, Hopkins tended to get overlooked. He was a guy that had to step in and play center when because Billy Price was not getting the job done. And he played pretty well and earned himself a contract extension. So he is the team center going forward. And uh, good, good, good call by Michael on that. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get out of here in just a minute. But as I mentioned a couple times in the show, Get this program on a number of different platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Uh, you can get them on all that kind of all, all those platforms. We have our YouTube channel, so get all the shows on all of those platforms and keep it to CincyJungle.com for all the Bengals news, opinions, analysis, and insight. So check out what we've got going on Cincy jungle, check out our slate of shows and we appreciate the support. John, it wouldn't be a, an episode of the orange and black insider without the weekly dose of Bengals cold water, um, cold bucket of water. Uh, right before we took the air and we're not going to belabor this point. Cause I don't want to end on a totally sour note, but it was very interesting to receive this. Literally we were setting up the show and I was checking my email and I got this from an, an employee of the Jim Rome show that he emailed me a clip. Apparently Carson Palmer, former Bengals quarterback was on the show recently and was uh, asked about Joe Burrow potentially going to Cincinnati number one overall 17 years after Carson Palmer had that, distinction uh as you would imagine carson palmer did not have the most glowing things to say about about the situation and i want to ask you a couple of questions after we watch and listen to this clip john i want to ask you a couple of questions based on some of carson's comments here this is a very brief clip i think it's only about 50 seconds so bear with So, uh, if you want to call that beating a dead horse or whatever you want to call that, interesting comments, nevertheless, from Carson Palmer. I don't know. One would think you would kind of say, Carson, it's been 10 years, literally. Why why don't we move on? Let's let's, uh, change the tone a little bit. Obviously, there's still some ill feelings there. And 
that's a two-way street. Let's let's not let's you know, there's no two ways about that. But John, what I want to ask you, do you feel that his assumptions are warranted uh, in that Joe Burrow is hearing the same negativity 17 years later that Carson Palmer did. You have to remember when Carson Palmer was saying, was getting these stay away from Cincinnati, get away from Cincinnati. They were coming off the 1992 to 2002 stretch, not the 2003 to 2019 stretch where there's seven playoff appearances. So there's a little bit of a difference there, I would think, but the management's still the same. A lot of the stigma is still the same. The team is now coming off of four straight losing seasons. Do you buy into the fact that Burrow may be hearing the same chirping that Palmer did 17 years ago? I don't want to say that you've answered your own question, but you kind of did. But for starters, the only reason why people are still putting a microphone in front of Carson Palmer's face and people like us are still talking about the instances where people put a microphone in front of Carson Palmer's face is because the guy is unbashfully honest and he's always going to be that way. Like anything, Everything that he said there doesn't surprise me because it's basically things – that he's already said in some other interviews where he heard, you know, people tell him to not go to Cincinnati because of the stigma and him being like the guy that I'm going to, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be the same Heisman quarterback and I'm going to get him the Super Bowl. And obviously it, things don't work like that because the NFL is a lot different in college and management matters a lot more. And like you said, it's not like the Bengals are coming off a, a dreadful decade, like the nineties, but nothing really else has changed. Like they still haven't won a playoff game. Mike Brown is still the owner. They still don't have a true GM. And now they're coming off a four straight losing season. So the, the the playoff appearances get more and more pushed back into this recent past. So I don't, I don't think they're, that Joe is going to be hearing the same exact things because they do have a little bit more organizational stability. They are bringing back their entire coaching staff. They do have more talent on the roster than Palmer had going into 2003. But there's still some, there's still some GMs out there that are saying like, you know, I don't trust my clients or my players to go to Cincinnati because they're just a second-class organization compared to other NFL teams with a lot of bigger scouting departments and an actual GM. So these stigmas still exist. These perceptions still exist. But like you said, it's just not at the abysmal level that it was in 2002 when Palmer got there. So do you think that Burrow, and, and I don't want to, again, belabor this too much, but again, very interesting stuff, especially when you're talking Carson Palmer, Joe Burrow. Do you think that, Burrow, you know, it, Car- Carson said he had that fire to change things, right? He had that fire and that desire. He, you know, I'm going to prove it, me against the world, the Bengals again, against the world. And he said himself it didn't work out. Do you think that Burrow has that same fire? Do you think he has maybe the it that Palmer maybe did not? I, I mean, I know you were a real young tyke. <laughs> when, when Palmer came out in the draft. But, I mean, do, do you feel that maybe Burrow is is more well-equipped? There, there are a lot of parallels of their college careers, by the way. But uh, do you feel as if Burrow is more well-equipped maybe to handle what's, what's going on in Cincinnati, especially with a little bit more recent success than what Palmer was coming into? I, I don't know if I can answer that because I, I, I don't feel like Palmer was ill-equipped to do it. I, I think he came in with a certain needed arrogance that, that, that needed, you know, a sense of identity that I'm going to be the thing that changes things around here because I think he recognized that for a team like Cincinnati, who's never going to be these major players in free agency, it's going to take a, a franchise changing quarterback to turn things around. And I don't know if Burrow has that arrogance in him. I, I think he has the confidence in him that he can be that caliber of player. But what, what Palmer did at the end of his tenure was basically make an ultimatum. And when he realized that he 
didn't have any of this leverage that he thought he did. He basically threw in the towel and went off to Oakland in, in, via trade. I don't think it's going to end like that if certain things go the same with Burrow. But I, I do think that Burrow does have the same type of confidence. He just doesn't express it in the same ways that Palmer does because Palmer essentially didn't have doesn't has never had a filter. And I think Burrow does a little bit better in terms of public relations when it comes to that point. But I think the confidence is still there. It's just filtered in a way that we as you know football fans and Bengals fans can more successfully absorb and and view it as more of a positive thing. I'll tell you this. I mean, look, Boomer, Ken Anderson, these guys had success under in in this same small to mid market team and and the way they operate. Granted, different era of football, but they were able to get to the Super Bowl um, and they were able to to work with the pieces that the team built around them. But I will say this. I, I can't really think of a either a quote-unquote franchise quarterback or otherwise where uh, under Mike Brown that did not uh, – every quarterback situation that really readily comes to mind did not end well between Mike Brown and the quarterback. Carson Palmer, <laughs> you can go back to Boomer Sison. You know, that ended in, a, in kind of a bitter divorce. Um, obviously, the you know, Jeff Blake, that didn't end well. Akili Smith, that didn't end well because Akili wasn't very good. Uh, you know, Klingler was in there as well. That same kind of deal. Palmer quits on the team. You've now got Andy Dalton that's a little bit bitter because he is now seemingly out of a job. I, I you know, I don't want to keep pointing to no playoff wins, here. none of them. That's the correlation. So yeah, I, you know, I, it's just something. It's something to talk about. It's something to think about. Like like we said when we were doing the roster analysis, if Mike Brown and company is going to take Joe Burrow, which they in all likelihood will and should, they need to protect that asset and they need to give him the best chance to succeed. And uh, that's that's the bottom line. And, you know, maybe you can – I see some people, Palmer's a crybaby, that sort of thing. That may be so, but, I mean, they also uh, in some ways shortchanged him. There were some things outside of, of Palmer's control, injuries and and freak things that happened that, you know, but there were some other things where, they, you know, they kind of let that roster erode around him a little bit. And, um, you know, that that's kind of what happened. But two-way street, and uh, he's not letting it go, John. Nope, never will. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Well, we don't want to uh, end on a totally sour note, but interesting stuff nevertheless, and we thought we would get to it, even though we're running long on this episode. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, John. Thank you for sticking around. And uh, I, I can see I've just really downtrodden. You, you look very down, my friend. I'm sorry. I'm just... Uh... Hey, you try, you try standing next to a skeleton for you know, <laughs> all your life. You know, Sometimes the bad vibes will rub off on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Take it easy.